1: Call the confession today is Proverbs 28, verse 20. A faithful man will abound with blessing, but whoever hastens to be rich will not go unpunished. Most of us recall the Aesop's fable, the tortoise and a hare. And who won the hare or the tortoise? The tortoise, of course. And who succeeds in personal finance? The steady Eddie or that wild-eyed dreamer? Of course, Eddie wins. But worse than losing, the impulsive dreamer that wants to get rich quickly also falls into sins of temptation that corrupt and destroy. The faithful man here is a faithful financial man, one rejecting vain persons and working diligently. God promises prosperity prosperity to men who do not get distracted by delusions for quick financial success but he warns greedy men who grasp at get-rich-quick schemes of their coming judgment. Faithfulness here is diligent, persevering, and honorable work at a trade or a business. It is contrasted to the impulsive and imprudent actions of an impatient man, who is greedy to get ahead and to do it at any cost. Solomon knew men were tempted to despise boring jobs and to follow Businesses and wanted to chase after businesses and quick investment schemes. The proverbs make this principle clear with those who cultivate their soil for a living. Whoever works, this is, proverbs 12:11. Whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but he who follows worthless pursuits lacks sense. In all toil there is profit, but mere talk, <clears throat> but mere talk tends only to poverty. That's 14 verse 23. And in verse 28, 19, whoever works his land will have plenty of bread, but whoever follows worthless pursuits will have plenty of poverty. So whether the temptation is lottery tickets, gambling, investment pyramids, or overextending credit, the results are the same. The state, the casinos, and the guy at the top all fleece the paychecks of the gullible. Haste distorts judgment. It narrows perspectives and shortens timing, and ruining the greater potential the long term plan. This reminds us of our need to confess our sins. Please kneel where you are if you're willing. Our
2: gracious Lord pray for the power of your spirit to come upon us to bring your word to life to enlighten our hearts open our ears and open our eyes that we would see you in all your glory and may the words of our mouth and the meditation of our hearts be pleasing in your sight o oh lord our rock and our redeemer amen freedom that signature Of Mel Gibson at the end of Braveheart. Freedom. It's almost universally taken for granted as a good thing, right? Personal liberty also seems to be the goal for almost everyone. But what does it mean to be free? What is freedom? In his inauguration speech, our new president said, quote, that we all enjoy the same glorious freedoms. And the very next day, people took to the streets in protest in order to maintain glorious freedoms and to see them protected from the guy who just said glorious freedoms. So somebody's definition isn't quite lining up with the others. What does it mean to be free? Does it mean to be free from all constraint, free from authority, free from the cops, the truth will set you free. This is part of our text this morning. This statement has been used and abused, especially in academic circles. You know, many colleges and universities have this as their banner or like an arch above the entryway. You you will learn the truth, and the truth will set you free, as if education would bring you freedom. So the knowledge and acquiescence of facts and data... Will make you free. Isn't that wonderful? Just education is the answer. But no, this statement originated with our Lord Jesus Christ. And as image bearers, of course, we define our terms by the only standard that is infallible and authoritative and inspired that's the written word of God. Propositional truth handed down from us for us um, for our benefit and all of which is inspired. So in order to fully grasp what is going on here, my first point is that true belief is an ongoing thing and not only mental assent. Now, kids, mental assent means that you agree. So if dad says, take out the trash because it's a mess, you could say, I agree, it is a mess. But that doesn't mean that you've taken out the trash yet. All right. That's just mental assent. That's just agreeing with daddy that it needs to be taken out. Just so you understand what what sometimes we use big words, theology speak. We even make things up just to explain even further and complicate and confuse the little ones. So we don't want to do that. So in John's writings, he utilizes a wide array of metaphors that Christ was using For concepts such as spiritual bondage and spiritual liberty. For example, a survey through the book of John. um, In John 1.5, it speaks of living in spiritual darkness as Jesus then comes as the light. So you have darkness and light. You have sin and you have salvation. Um, A refusal to come to Christ is called spiritual thirst. It's a refusal to take the living water of Jesus like we see in, in John chapter 3 the woman in the well what about those who can hear the word of God but they don't really hear the word of God that's, that's from John 5 spiritual deafness and in John 6 we, we see this concept of spiritual blindness where Jesus explains the unbelief of some of his disciples who had believed in him And in John, the remedy for this condition is the practice of ongoing coming to Christ, hearing Christ, seeing Christ. Indeed, even in eating the flesh of Christ and drinking the blood of Christ, these are all figures of speech that are intended to communicate this idea of the vital union that a believer has with the Lord Jesus. And of course, this ongoing faith is not the basis for this union. But since faith is a gift of God, the ongoing nature of faith demonstrates that it's actually really, truly faith. Not just a one-time incident, but a whole life. As, As Martin Luther taught, our lives should be a life of repentance. So the day I was born from above, I repented from my sins, but I continue to repent the rest of my life until the day I die. I have to. If I don't repent... Demonstrates I didn't really repent the first time, right? And there is this category of those who had believed in Jesus that we see in John. In fact, you could reference this for later access, John 2.23. Many believed in his name when they saw the signs he was doing. In John 6, we read of seekers and disciples, those who had at a point in time Believed. In fact, they had crossed the Sea of Galilee to hear him teach in the synagogue at Capernaum, and the Bible said that they had believed, but it's a past tense issue. And here in John 8 31, to the Jews who had believed him, Jesus said, If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. So in many churches today, if you make a one-time commitment, at that point, you're on your way. You you made a decision. The entreaty was given at the end of a heartfelt message and just as I am played four or five times and at the fourth verse, the, the pastor said, I remember a meeting like this years ago. A young man refused to come to Christ. Got hit by a train and now he's in hell. Don't be that young man and Everyone, you know, the next verse you see four or five more people come forward, right? You're on your way, but hey, these are the Jews, right? And it says that many believe. So, and of them, you know, Paul wrote in Romans, they're the Israelites. To them belong the adoption. The whole covenant system is, is for Israel, right? So we look at that and we, we would conclude That according to Christ, according to this text, if you hold to my teaching, or if you abide in my word, some translations have, then you're really my disciples. And we conclude that if anyone's faith is genuine, it would be those people upon whom the the covenants had been their inheritance, right? God's covenant people. Through the promise of Abraham. And that's exactly what these people in John chapter 8 thought. We are the receivers of the Abrahamic covenant. We're the people of God. We're the chosen ones. Jesus. How can you say that we're going to be set free? Now the question is, did Jesus treat their faith as genuine? Right off the bat. Well, we'll get to that. But there's a question we have to ask ourselves. Is there such a thing as false faith well I would hope so because the Bible has that category of those who had believed who fell away and were no longer in the fellowship some people flee to Jesus Christ because if they don't they know they perish some people flee to Jesus because the weight of sin is so burdensome and so onerous and inescapable That they know only Jesus can free them from their sin. I I hope that's every one of us here today. You flee to Christ because if I don't, I don't know what I'll do. Other people flee to Jesus or come to the master's table, not because of the master, but because of what's on the table. In John 6, they wanted more physical bread, but not necessarily Jesus. So is this John 8 type of faith the ongoing kind, or is it just a point-in-time occurrence? Now Jesus leaves this question of, okay, are they really my disciples or not, right away. And he tells them how they can know. If you hold to my teaching, you're really my disciples. And then he adds this line, then you will know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Of course, we know many people profess Christ, and they declare themselves to be believers in christ many people give witness to the fact yes i'm a christian and by the way the third the third rail of genteel conversation would be to question someone's commitment to christ what is that usually really how dare you you know how dare you call into question of course i'm a christian yes no one asked that right i mean how how would you be so presumptuous It's fairly common in in our culture, even to this day, even in in its God-hating state. It's still one of those things you don't... Remember, President Obama said he was a Christian, so therefore we have to take him at his word. He's a Christian. Don't question it. That's kind of where I'm going with this. It was all over the place. Who's the real disciple, though? So he begins, if you hold in my teaching, if you abide in my word, you're the real deal. You really believe it. You're really born from above. You've passed from darkness to light. You will not die in your sins. As it says in 8:24. If you hold to my teaching, you're really no longer children of the devil but children of God. That's what would be true if they held to his teaching. You see, unlike us, Jesus knew their hearts and he knew their pride. And folks, it's easy for us on this side of history to look back on the Old Testament and see, yeah, those arrogant Jews, they thought they had it all together. As if just being born into a certain culture makes you one of God's children. Well, that's just, we know better than that. Really? Well, we can get proud too if we don't practice humility. Listen, the Jews of that day grew up in their, their little Jewish religious bubble, and they forgot God. They forgot the fear of the Lord. Listen, in our Reformed churches today, the same thing can be true. People can grow up in the household of faith, covenant children baptized, and they can forget God too. You know that's the story of a young man who in his teen years just outwardly, clearly, and without any equivocation, rebelled against Christ. He wanted nothing to do with Jesus and was living a flagrant, even debauched life. Attempted. To bring this guy to faith and repentance and say, this guy needs to be saved, and his mom. You know, no. Saved? Well, no, he's he's a covenant child. He's been baptized. That's the same exact attitude that the Pharisees have here. We're one of God's. You can't touch us, right? And you'll know the truth, and the truth will set you free. Jesus knew the real issue for these folks, and for you, and for me. It's that before we can believe, before we can experience the freedom from the bondage of spiritual darkness and spiritual thirst and spiritual deafness and all the things that John uses as as metaphors to explain the, the fallen condition of humanity, before we can enter into that, we need to be set free from who we are as fallen sons and daughters of Adam. And as it was then, it's the same today. If you try to tell someone that they're bound in sin and under God's wrath until they repent and trust in Christ and only Christ can forgive them and set them free, you're going to get a similar response to this, especially if they're church kids, man. Those are the tough crowds. They've been inoculated. But even with a non-believer, a pagan, they answered him and said, we are Abraham's descendants. We've never been slaves of anyone. How can you say that we'll be set free? It's like they're saying, Jesus, we're exempt from this whole bondage thing that you're talking about. We're not in danger of dying in our sins. See that in verse 24? We're not of this world like those in verse 23. We're the chosen people. We're the pedigree. And remember, these are those people who had believed at a point in time. They protest, not us, Jesus. We, we go to synagogue, we tie the tenth of our spices, we got it down. Or we, get, we grew up in church. We sang the loudest. We prayed and worshipped and confessed like all the rest. We were baptized. We took the supper. Surely, Lord, you don't mean us. And of course, Jesus right here is in the process of touching the heart of all man's religion our own vain and futile autonomous self-justification. It's, it's like Greg said earlier in the confession. We break God's law when we try to somehow make up for our sins by our own, our own efforts. And the Pharisees, were, they were saying the same thing. I need to be set. We are free already. So all those who sin or are a slave to sin... And true saving faith is an ongoing thing. It's not just point in time. Don't get me wrong. I'm not, I'm not saying that conversion can't happen in a second. Of course it can. But John's point here is to say that true faith means they're going to be coming to the Messiah all of their lives. My second point is that all those outside of Christ are slaves of sin. Verse 34, Jesus replied... I tell you the truth, everyone who sins is a slave to sin. It's one of those verses that I'll, I'll quote the first part, and I expect the congregation or the class I'm teaching to say the second part. If you sin, you are a slave to sin. Yeah, you know, Just like back home, that, that made me feel at home, thank you. So if Jesus were presented... This way, among any other religious group, the same response would happen just like it happened here. Unless God intervenes, you're going to get the same thing. Sometimes it, I'm the kind of guy that I enjoy a, a good argument. I don't like quarreling, but I like to, you know, te te back and forth, setting forth your propositions. So if I see a couple young, uh, short-sleeved, name tag, tie-wearing young men in a it's town walking around. You know they're Mormons. So I'll usually look at, see what direction they're going, turn the car around if I'm not really pressed for time. Pull up about 10 parking spaces ahead of where they're going to be. Get out of the car and wait for them and begin to speak. And um, oftentimes those, those conversations look like this. Because they're still stuck in a religious system that says, oh, God justifies the godly. What? What? No. That that would be, wouldn't that be impossible? They actually think they're godly, so God justifies them. So religion and ethnicity and morality, all brought to bear, all leveraged, just like two young Mormon missionaries, oh no, no, we're doing our service work. Morality, I'm going to leverage this so that I don't have to be called a slave to sin. And here in the Jewish context, it's an illustration of the way all of us try to evade Jesus in his words of indictment that will perish if we don't believe. It isn't Jews only who don't want to hear that we're slaves to sin. It's all humans that don't want to hear it. I'm offended if you tell me that I'm a slave to sin. I'm not that bad. It's always the lowest, least common denominator. It's the think of the worst human being that you can think of, and you're probably better than that human being. So there ergo, I'm not a slave, I'm not as bad as that guy. I mean, I, you know, can run through the litany of 20th century tyrants and go, well, I'm pretty good compared to those guys. Right? Like the old Australian joke, two brothers, one of them dies, and they're just just the, the worst guys in the county, and the surviving brother goes to a pastor and says, I, I want you to preach at my brother's funeral and I'll pay you this insane amount of money if you will call him a saint. The preacher thinks, yeah, okay, so how do I do this? He agrees to it. So he gets to the funeral and he points to the casket. See the man in this casket. He's the most vile, corrupted, inane, borish usury rip-off artist you've ever met in your life but compared to his brother he's a saint <laughs> so he gets away with it right and it's a, it, that's kind of a joke though getting to, people to acknowledge their sin is one thing but it's an entirely different thing to for God to bring someone to repentance that's when you acknowledge your bondage to sin. It's not just, I've done bad stuff, I know. I mean, you can get people on Oprah saying that. It's, I've done wickedness because I am wicked, and I must be freed from this wickedness, or I will perish. So at this point of the text, if we're offended, we'd use the same kind of justification. So all throughout the Bible, though, sin is seen as a state of bondage itself. It is seen, yes, as transgressions. What is sin? Any willful breaking of the law of God or failure to keep it, or standards say. And actually, wicked acts is how Islam sees sin. It's, it's the bad stuff you do. They do not have a category for sin as our nature before Christ. They don't have a federal head like we do. They still have the same federal head in the flesh. Adam. But they don't have a mediator. And this state of sin. That Jesus is saying to these Pharisees. You're slaves to this. Is never satisfied. And it's never finished. And it's never liberating. I mean it's the great irony of the world we live in. It's the opposite of of what the world describes as freedom. I mean, think of it. How many songs and films and books are dedicated to, to the whole premise of do your own thing. Do what you want to do. That's all that matters. If you're really old like me, you can hear Janis Joplin in your head. You know, freedom's just another one. I know, there's no one to, Well, one person is old as me. It's ridiculous. Okay, two. But Proverbs says, the iniquities of the wicked ensnare him, and he is held fast in the cords of his sin. Both categories are in that Proverbs. The iniquities of the wicked are a snare to him, and he's held fast in the cords of his sin. Not just sins, but his sin itself, the flesh. Second Peter, speaking of the false teachers, early on in the church, he says, they promised them freedom, but they themsl- themselves are slaves of corruption, for whatever overcomes a person, to that he is enslaved. Titus 3.3 3 speaks of those corrupted ones, slaves to various sins and passions. Sin isn't just what you do, it's who you are. In Romans 6. Galatians, on and on. The great irony of the libertine quest for freedom is exposed for the satanic lie that it is. It's always bondage. Let me parse this out just a little bit. Sin enslaves in two ways. You can look at it like this. First, sin in your own sin nature produces compelling desires. It makes anything look more desirable than Jesus. That's idolatry. That's sin. That's desiring something above Jesus and then acting on it. So the desires themselves are not neutral. They're, they're bad. That's part of the ongoing discussion about orientation these days. In the Reformed Church, just as an aside, take the word orientation from all of those articles that we've been reading and put the word in there, temptation. Now all of a sudden we're, we're back on the same level playing field and there's no temptation except which is common to man and Jesus was tempted in all ways except without sin. Try that on because we're being, we're being told, nope, it's innate, it's natural. Natural, that means you blame God. I'm sorry. No one will stand in front of the, the court of the king and say, well, you, you made me like this. I, I didn't have a choice, God, really? No, no. The second way sin enslaves is that it eventually damns you. Unless something intervenes, unless someone intercedes for you, it leads to hell. So it produces wicked desires and it damns. That's bondage. That's some good news, isn't it? No. <laughs> good news is usually preceded by this bad news. You break God's law, You sin, you're a sinner, you're a slave. The good news, though, is Jesus must set you free from your spiritual slavery. That's my third point. Jesus alone can free us from these two kinds of of slavery. The desire to sin and the dominion of sin. He frees us from the damnation of sin by becoming damnation himself. Christ redeemed us from the curse of the law by becoming a curse for us. As he suffered the Father's justice and wrath on Calvary, he took upon himself what all of his people had coming and then some. The sinless Son of God taking upon himself the sins of his people. But he he doesn't just leave us in that state. If you're freed from sin, you're not As wonderful and beautiful as that is, that's not the end of the story. He also frees us from the domination of sin by giving us a new heart, by changing our nature through regeneration, through the new birth. And he gives us those eyes that we can see him for who he truly is. He gives gives us ears that we can hear his voice as it's proclaimed to us. And he gives us that desire that places Jesus at the top pinnacle desire of all of our life more than anything in the world sidebar question though is, is can a slave just make himself free well no we think of different parables that speak of uh, people's self-moralizing uh, you know, just, just trying to get their house in order and, and more demons come in than were there before can a slave just be free? You could even Can you just one day get out of bed as a slave and say, Nope, I'm not going to go out in the fields today. I'm done. No, you have to be set free. Cannot free himself. It's an offensive truth. Again, and it was offensive to the Pharisees. Especially given the fact that they were still antagonistic towards the one they believed in. They saw the miracles. They believed in this Messiah. And then he turns right around and says have to eat my flesh, drink my blood. And you can't come after me unless the Father gives you to me. No, no, Jesus. That's offensive. Men do not like to hear that they are, in fact, totally dependent upon God's grace for salvation. Saints, this is the 500th year of what event in history? Anyone? The Reformation. Amen. What was the issue of the Reformation? Well, the big, the big issue was authority, who, who says what's true. But what was the material The material issue? It was how is God reconciled to man? And all of the Roman Catholic confessions say you have to have grace. We're not Pelagians, they're saying. It must be grace. Grace must be infused in you and assist you in doing the good works that will make you savable that was the issue, the issue wasn't the the necessity of grace the issue issue in the Reformation is the, the nature of grace, is grace sufficient when we preach this kind of gospel which is the only biblical gospel it always has grace as absolutely not only necessary but all sufficient for someone to be made right with God and it's all in Christ. What's interesting is that Jesus actually points to their pedigree as a touchstone of this, this grace that he gives. He says in verse 35 that a slave has no permanent place in the family, but a son belongs to it forever. I can, I can hear the Gospel Coalition blog right now saying, Jesus, you just did that because you know that would make Him mad did you have to do it then? Did you have to say that? It just ticked them off. Of course, because they already they're thinking, we are the people. And Jesus says, no, if you're a slave to sin, you don't have a permanent place in the family. These Jews here are actually even more self-deceived than they thought they were. Like so many today, they claim they're free. And Jesus continues to press home this fact, if you sin, you're a slave to sin, and you must be set free or you're not a true son. You're not even in the family anymore. Jesus does not deny the fact that they are the descendants of Abraham, but he places it in the crucial context of family membership and what it means to be a son. And there's the issue of permanence, of the organic connection of Your union with Christ and my union with Christ. It's what was necessary for the Jews then, and it's what's necessary for us today. Remember what happened. Those of you who were converted out of sinful lifestyles, and that means all of us, okay? That was a trick question. But those of you who remember that, what were you confessing? You said, I'm not Lord, and Jesus is. And I have to be forgiven, or I remain in my state of slavery. And it's not enunciated in that way always, of course. But Jesus is Lord, Curios, and I am Dulos, the slave. He's my master, my Lord. and that defines everything for me. From now on, from this point forward, I'm going to obedient to Jesus. and verse 36 so if the sun sets you free you will be free indeed think about think about that word indeed really truly no hesitation no qualification if the sun sets you free that's the definition of freedom freedom from bondage to sin freedom from real true guilt free from all the spiritual darkness and and spiritual thirst and deafness and blindness All the self-destructive thoughts and attitudes that the enemy, the devil, loves for us to engage in. To be free forever, our sins must be forgiven. God's wrath removed. And Christ must be our treasure, our supreme goal and desire. And only Jesus can do that. In fact, he has done it. He died for our sins. He absorbed all of God's wrath. And he rose from the dead for our justification. And today, therefore, he is Lord of all and the Redeemer of his people. <clears throat> J.C. Ryle writes this The true freedom I speak of is spiritual freedom, freedom of soul. It is the freedom which Christ bestows without money and without price on all true Christians. Those whom the Son makes free, he's free indeed. Back when I was a kid, Bob Dylan wrote this song, You're Going to Have to Serve Somebody. The chorus went, it may be the devil or it may be the Lord, but you're going to have to serve somebody. That that serve line, uh, sometimes in the New Testament, translates as worship, service, and servants are often thought of as, as slaves as well. So Bob was initially saying in his high nasally twang, often off key, That you're going to be a slave to somebody, and it's either going to be one or the other. I'll close with this. In the Bible, there are only two people groups there are those in Adam and those who are in Christ. It's those who are slaves to sin and those who are free from the bondage of sin, those who are of the flesh and those who are of the spirit. There's no middle ground. And yes, if we're completely honest with ourselves, we know we still sin. This is why we have a corporate confession, because I think it's helpful in acknowledging to each other, I still sin. I have not reached some state of perfection. I got into a Facebook argument, I'm sorry, I know, I shouldn't have done it, on Christian perfectionism. And and what it was. And of course that led to how a person comes to faith in the first place and all the reform stuff. and it, it really went well, I can tell you that. Everyone changed their mind on the side of truth. Yay! Listen, God's purpose in setting you free wasn't just so you get your ticket punched in this time and point belief like I was talking about earlier. His purpose in saving you is to conform you into the image of Christ we know that justification means God's declaration of your righteousness in Christ but there's that other tricky one called sanctification and folks that is lifelong and it is excruciating and agonizing sometimes to crucify the flesh can I get an amen it is hard work it is glorious work never give up, never give in and Jesus died not so you could be celebrating your brokenness. I get so tired of hearing that these days. No, I, I admit, broken before the sinless Son of God, amen. But Jesus doesn't want us to stay there. He, want, he wants us ongoing worship, ongoing belief and trust to listen to him and to be conformed more and more in the image of the Lord Jesus Christ. As Peter says, he, he prays that we would grow in the grace and knowledge of Christ. So I pray that as as freemen, as free sons and daughters of the Most High, that you don't use your liberty for license, but that you will grow daily in God's image, that you will place Christ at the forefront of all your, all of your desires, and you would live in such a way that would glorify and honor and please the Lord. Let's pray. Lord, indeed, we thank you for setting us free. Free from the sinful nature itself. Free from sin and all the death and hell that follow in its train. And we thank you, Father, that we have one who intercedes on our behalf before your throne, pleading his blood, for us, his people. Oh Lord, let us never entertain thoughts of engaging in sins for, whom, for which Christ died. That the longer we go, the more precious he would become and the more filthy and disgusting our own sins are. Help us to learn to love what you love and to hate what you hate. And help us with compassion to reach out to those who are still slaves and bound by sin with the only message that can truly bring liberty, and that's the gospel of Christ. Pray that the words that spoke this morning would be sanctified by your Spirit and that you would apply it to our hearts as your people. And Lord, finally teach us to pray. This is the time.
3: Thirteen five, we read, Let your conduct be without covetousness. Be content with such things as you have, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. As we come to this time of partaking Lord's Supper, consider for a moment this promise, I will never leave you nor forsake you. They are powerful words of assurance which were spoken to Joshua and the Israelites as they prepared to cross the Jordan River and go into the promised land. It was a promise given to a specific people at a specific time, and yet the author of Hebrews applies it to his readers. He essentially says, Be content, don't covet, because God is with you. His words of promise spoken thousands of years ago to Joshua are for you also. How can it be that we, being so far removed in space and time and culture, can claim such a promise for ourselves? We can because of Jesus Christ. Because of the covenant of grace into which he has sealed us. Brothers and sisters, whatever God has said to any one saint in his word, he has said to you also. Whether the word was given to the patriarchs, to the Israelites, to the disciples, as one of his children, that word is also given to you. This meal serves as a reminder of our precious covenant standing and the price that was paid for it. In it, we also see fulfilled all the promises of God including the promise to never leave us or forsake us. 2 Corinthians 1.20 says, For all the promises of God in him, Jesus, are yes, and in him, amen, to the glory of God through us. In Christ, there is no high blessing too lofty for us, no mercy too extensive for us. In coming to the Lord's table, we are called to lift up our eyes, look to the north, the south, the east, and the west, and see that all is ours. Here we come to the peak of Mount Pisgah, and view the utmost of the promised land, Jesus Christ. Let us then be bold, believe, and partake, for he himself has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. Christ's body, broken for us. Let's pray.
0: Thank you for listening to this audio recording from Christ Church of Livingston County. If you would like further information about anything in this recording, the Bible, about Christ Church of Livingston County, or wish to make any other related inquiry, please feel free to contact us through our website, ChristKirkMI.com. That's C-H-R-I-S-T-K-I-R-K-M-I.com. Again, thank you and blessings.